Good morning. I'm David Dunnerdale, one of the pastors here along with Goody, and I'd like to extend my welcome to you as well, particularly if you are new to us at Blacknell. Uh, it is indeed, as we think about joy this morning, a joy to be together. And uh, one of the, uh, maybe, uh, I don't think it ever gets old, right? The joy of being able to worship together and uh, uh, grateful for this opportunity. We are looking at joy this morning, and our text from, comes from Isaiah, as we have been doing in Advent, letting Isaiah be our guide in this Advent season, and this morning we come to Isaiah chapter 35. Uh, someone has a page number for us in the Bible there in the pews. What is it? 713. Listen again to God's word to us. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, Grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. This too is word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yes, indeed, this morning is the third Sunday in Advent. And this traditional theme for this third Sunday is joy. Hence the pink candle as opposed to the purple candle of repentance and penitence. But as we come together to think about joy, I have to confess a sadness for me, a sadness that you cannot know but can only imagine. This morning, we had hoped that Kat Burgett would be preaching. Unfortunately, she came down with COVID this week, and she is recovering, thanks be to God. So I think we can all be sad that Kat is not preaching this morning. (laughs) But I have a sadness that you cannot know. And that sadness (laughs) is this. When I found out earlier in the week that Kat was sick and that she would not be able to preach, I asked her if she had any notes on her sermon that she had already worked on, and would she be willing to share them with me? And she did. And the sadness you cannot know is that I read her notes, and she had prepared a great sermon. So great, I was tempted to preach her sermon. 
And when you see Kat, you should ask her about her sermon. My sermon this morning is indeed richer for having read her notes, but I'm sad that you don't get to see a greater sermon that Kat would have given. And one of the gifts of those notes is a quote on joy by Stanley Hauerwas. And it is the connection between surprise and joy. Those who have thought and written about joy often make this connection. The most famous is probably C.S. Lewis's autobiography, Surprised by Joy. Hauerwas says this. He says, joy is the disposition that comes from a readiness always to be surprised. Or put even more strongly, joy is the disposition that comes from the realization that we can trust in surprises for the sustaining of our lives. Joy, he is saying, is living with the expectation, the readiness to be surprised. Frederick Beekner has also written on joy. Beekner says it this way, happiness turns up more or less where you'd expect it to. A good marriage, a rewarding job, a pleasant vacation. Joy, on the other hand, is as notoriously unpredictable as the one who bequeaths it. Joy, he says, is a mystery because it can happen anywhere, anytime, even under the most unpromising circumstances, even in the midst of suffering, with tears in its eyes, even nailed to a tree. Our text makes the same connection. It starts out, the desert and the parched land will be glad, the wilderness will rejoice and blossom, like the crocus it will burst into bloom, it will greatly rejoice and shout for joy. We don't expect the desert and the parched land to be glad, but joy sprouts up like the crocus. Now, we don't see many crocuses here in, in Durham. I'm trying to get them to come up in our front yard because we had them in Pittsburgh. We bought our home in Pittsburgh from this wonderful couple in our church, and they had planted crocuses in, the, in our yard. And every February, in the midst of the snow and ice and cold and gray and dreary days, when we would go for months with barely a glimpse of sunshine, one miserable wintry day, we would see a yellow or purple or white crocus blooming in winter. And within a week, there would be literally a hundred crocuses blooming in our yard. It was not springtime. But the crocuses would come. And like the surprise of the crocus, the wilderness will rejoice and blossom, Isaiah says. And joy is like that. It is a surprise. Isaiah uses this image of a dry and parched land that is desperate for water. This describes the wilderness of Judea. He returns this image again in verses 6 and 7, where he says, Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground, bubbling springs, in the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. Now, we don't live in a land like this. Most years, most of the time, we get plenty of rain. We rarely experience thirst. We have water available to us at all times. I wonder, have you ever been really really thirsty? When I was in high school, I played basketball, 
And back in the day, I don't know if this was just my own sadistic coach or all coaches did this, but we were taught that water was bad for you, right? That when you were practicing, you should not drink water. I don't know if they thought it would give us cramps or whatever, but we would have two-hour practices when we were running constantly and we were not allowed to drink anything, right? If we did, the whole team would have to run suicides, right? I, mean, I remember we had to run these stairs. We had to run up 16 stairs and turn around and run back down the stairs. And from about here to the piano was a water fountain, right? And the coach was not always watching us, right? Some members of our team gave in to that temptation, but others of us, those who were faithful to the team, right, <laughs> didn't drink. And our, by the end of practice, our lips were cracking, right? The tongue stuck to the roof of our mouth. We weren't in spitting cotton. We didn't have cotton to spit, right? We were so thirsty. Isaiah says, that's a thirsty land, a parched land. This is where water will come. We are desperately thirsty, Isaiah says. But I wonder, are we? And as I thought about that question, I thought, I think we are. And we are desperately thirsty for joy. We have had tastes of it, and it creates in us a hunger and a longing for more. C.S. Lewis describes it this way. All joy reminds. It is never a possession, always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. We never possess it. But it's always this thirst, this desire for something we can't quite name, something longer ago or further away or still about to be. We pursue it. We try to recreate it. We try to make it happen. I think this is why, for me, and I think for many of us, we love sports. Watching sports, we have these brief, shining moments, right? When joy breaks out, we jump up, we shout, we hug somebody, we, we have to, did you see that play? Incredible, right? I know it's hard for us Americans to fully appreciate the game of soccer. Like We like more immediate gratification, right? You can watch 90 minutes and no one ever scores a goal. What fun is that, right? But what I'm coming to understand is that soccer is a game where joy breaks out. I mean, if you've ever listened to the Spanish-speaking announcer, right, and when that one goal gets scored, it's goal! And he goes longer than that. He just keeps going, it, right? You've been waiting the whole time. There's this moment of beauty, of incredible, how that ever happened. And in soccer, sometimes you're watching, you're thinking, they're just passing the ball, passing the ball, pass, pass, pass. and then, the one pass and the goal is scored. You never saw it coming, right? The surprise of it. Those of you watching World Cup, did you see Messi's assist against uh, Netherlands yesterday? I mean, how did that pass ever, how did he see that pass, right? And the joy, the surprise of that. I think sports does that for us, right? And, and we miss, we love the joy. We are thirsting for the surprise of joy. We, we Plan vacations with the hope maybe of joy happening. And Isaiah is telling us this, that yes, joy happens. You may have seen the, the bumper sticker, right, that I 
politely translated as bad stuff happens, right? You've seen that, right? That is certainly true, right? But joy also happens in the desert, in the wilderness, in the places and circumstances we least expected. Kat would have told you about J.R.R. Tolkien's naming this kind of joyful surprise as a eucastrophe, you as an EU catastrophe, putting the prefix EU, which means good, right? Good as in eulogy, a good word. Kat says, a catastrophe is a sudden turn for the worse, an unexpected disaster. A eucastrophe is a sudden turn for the better, an unexpected grace. A catastrophe overtakes those who think they're secure and it throws their lives into chaos. A eucastrophe overtakes those with a fleeting glimpse of joy. But the World Cup, a Steelers win, even a European vacation, right, are only dim substitutes of the joy our hearts truly long for. What we long for is the joy of the gospel. Every week at Blackman, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and I love that we do that. Many Sundays, I'm surprised by joy as we come together at this table. And Martin Luther said it this way. He says, the gospel is nothing less than laughter and joy. How ridiculous is this, right? At this table, I am united with Jesus Christ. I belong to him, me, right? <laughs> How ridiculous is this that I belong to Jesus Christ? Oh, and, and you too, right? Who could believe that? And some days I can hear every accusation and condemnation that Satan can throw at me. And Satan is not lying when he does that. It's true what he says. And our father is not surprised. He knows it all already. And at this table, he says, you are my beloved son. And through Jesus Christ with you, I am well pleased. That's a surprise. Oh, and he also says that we are one body, united together. Here at us, right? United together, one body. Yeah, right? And we disagree on all kinds of stuff, right? Some of us love the music. Some of us don't like the music. Some little stuff we get upset, angry about. And there's big stuff. How we try and what it means to follow Jesus in this world. We don't all agree on that either, right? And at this table... God says, you are one body, my body, united together, brothers and sisters in one family. I can hear every accusation and condemnation that Satan throws at us, right? But surprise, we are still brothers and sisters. This band of sinners, band of redeemed sinners, we belong together. We belong together. Together. So what's the point? Cat reminds us of the words of Hauerwas again. He says, our joy is the simple willingness to live with the assurance of God's redemption. The point is for us to live with the assurance of God's redemption. Isaiah says it this way, strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. 
Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. The point is live with the assurance that our God will come to save us. At Advent, we remember the surprise of his first coming to save us, born in Bethlehem. At Advent, we strengthen each other's feeble hands and steady the knees that give way. And we say to another, those of us, all of us with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. He will come again to save us, to make all things right. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. Another surprise, right? This beautiful text and, oh, rats, why does he say that, right? (laughs) He will make things right. Those who are oppressing and inflicting harm on those who belong to God will receive divine retribution. And we have already seen that vengeance and divine retribution poured out by God on his son Jesus Christ on the cross. So the point is live with assurance, live with expectation. We worship a God of surprises. On Good Friday, no one saw Easter coming. In Bethlehem, no one saw the Messiah coming, especially not in a manger. Joy is not something that we can manufacture. It's not something we can make happen. It is a gift. Expect it. Look for it. Pursue relationship with those who are joyful. I desperately want to go back to Benny in Congo, right? When I went to Eastern Congo, a part of our world that has been through hell, I expected sadness, grief, and despair. And you certainly can find those things there. What I was surprised by was their joy. I want to be around them more. Pursue relationship with those who are joyful. Live with the expectation that joy will show up in the desert, in the wilderness. Live with assurance, live with expectation, and live with courageous trust. Our hearts do fear. We fear if we trust God that we will miss out. We fear that the way of me first is the way. And if I follow the way of Jesus, the way of self-sacrifice, of loving others, of obeying God's commands, then I will lose and I won't find what it is I'm looking for. But joy happens. Live with courageous trust that even in the desert and the wilderness, God will come and with him, great joy. And finally, rejoice. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Verse 8 tells us that there is a highway. Remember the C.S. Lewis quote, all joy reminds it is never a possession, always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. Joy is not a possession. It reminds us of what we long for. We long for the one who gives us joy. We long for the one for whom we were created. And the way back to him is a long walk through a wilderness. And the one who made us says, I am the way. I am the way. It is not an easy way. We do not long for something unattainable, though. We long for joy that can only be found in God. And there is a way. 
Isaiah tells us there will, no lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy will crown their heads, gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. That's what we long for. To enter that holy city where we will be welcomed as God's beloved people. The stories we'll have to tell of what happened along the way. The rejoicing when we get there. And the pain, the hardship. All of that will be forgotten. Gladness and joy will overtake us. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Let us pray. Lord, in this season of Advent, we pray that you will help us to remember our destination of that which our hearts most deeply and truly long for, to be with you, to be with all your people, And so, Lord, we pray that the joy of that, the expectation of that, would enable us to have knees that don't give way, that you would strengthen our feeble feeble hands, that you would help us together to love and support one another as we walk along this way. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.